Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter. It can be found on page 69 of your pew Bible. We will be reading verses 18 through 22. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Tony Campolo is one of my favorite storytellers. Some of his stories are kind of light and fun. Some are a little more sobering. This is one of those stories. During War World War II, the Nazis came into a Polish village. They rounded up the Jews, lined them up in front of a firing squad, and killed them. The bodies of the dead fell into a huge grave, which the Jews themselves had dug. As dirt was shoveled over their bodies, no one was aware that there was a boy being buried among the dead who had not been touched by any of the bullets. He slowly dug his way out of the grave. By the time he emerged from the dirt, night had fallen. The boy ran back into the village, hoping that some of the people there would take him in. But every door that opened was immediately shut when the people inside saw who he was. They knew the boy, they recognized him. They knew he was one of the Jews who'd been shot at by the firing squad. They wanted nothing to do with him, lest the Nazis punish them for harboring a Jewish child. Finally, he knocked on one door, and before it could be shut in his face, he cried out to the woman inside, don't you recognize me? I'm Jesus, don't you recognize me? The woman swept the child into the house and from that day on cared for him as though he was her own. In later life, when the boy had grown up, he always remembered that faithful evening, but he could never figure out why he said what he had said. Perhaps it was God who put the words into his mouth. Whatever the reason, his words spoke a truth to the woman at the door. See, she saw Jesus in that boy who'd been rejected and left for dead. For her, Jesus was the outcast who called her to love in a way that transcended fear of laws and social expectations that could lead to her own death. Today is the last Sunday in our sermon series on questions that God asks us. And today's question comes during a time when Jesus and his disciples were together in a place, quietly praying. Just before today's passage, the disciples and Jesus have been in a huge crowd of 5,000 where Jesus fed the 5,000 with just two fish and five loaves of bread. 
people were talking. They were wondering about this guy. The crowds were swelling. He was beginning to get quite the following. But Jesus needed some time away. And so he and his disciples went away for some time to pray and to talk, and their conversation began with Jesus asking them, who do the crowds say that he is? No doubt, they'd been wondering the same thing. Who, just exactly who is this Jesus? The disciples shared what they'd heard. The crowds couldn't figure it out. They answered out of their Jewish experience through the lens of Scripture. They believed him to be Elijah or John the Baptist, a prophet. They tried to fit Jesus into the teachings that they'd already had. And so Jesus is led to ask, but who do you say that I am? Peter has a different answer. Now, I've shared in our Sunday night worship many times that Peter is my favorite disciple, largely because he doesn't usually get it, because he's kind of a doofus. He's always messing things up. At the Transfiguration, it's Peter who wants to come down from the mountain, who doesn't want them to come to the, down from the mountain. He wants them to stay up there to keep Jesus up on top of the mountain and, and just stay there. It's nice up here and, and shiny and the sun is shining and we just can avoid going back down to the crowds. Peter wants to do that. We know that it's Peter who denies Jesus. We know that it's Peter who doesn't believe Mary when she comes back and says that Jesus is again alive he just keeps getting frustrated by things. He just never seems to get it. But here in today's lesson, when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Peter answers, the Messiah of God. He thinks he's finally got it right. Now, it's important to realize that Jesus do has not asked, who am I? He asked, who do you say that I am? His question is about far more than identity. He's asked for a confession. Peter answered with the best answer that he could give, the highest confession he could offer. He states that Jesus was the long-awaited Savior of the Jews, the Messiah. He gave the answer that he thought Jesus wanted to hear, but it was an answer that didn't account for what was yet to come, mm -hmm. for the suffering that Jesus would endure or for the resurrection and his answer said nothing about what a relationship with Jesus required of the disciple. It said nothing about who the person of Jesus was to Peter. Chances are, had the Jewish boy arrived on Peter's doorstep, he wouldn't have understood what the boy said, meant when he said, I am Jesus. When I was in seminary, I had a Peter moment. Every year, my fellow students and I from the Detroit Conference were visited by members of the Board of Ordained Ministry. Now, the Board of Ordained Ministry is the board within the conference who determines whether or not a person should be ordained. Members come out to the seminary so that they can begin to get to know us before we, we go before them at the end of our career. They have some idea of, not the end of our career, our seminary career. They have some idea of who we are and, and all that. It was usually two or three people who came. In my experience, it would be two clergy people and one lay person, and they'd come to campus, and they'd occupy a classroom or an office, and each student hoping to serve in the Detroit Conference would meet with the board members. Now, the very first time that I met with the members of the board was my first week of seminary classes. We were on trimesters, so we didn't start 
school until the very end of September, and the board members were there the very first week of October, assuming that we'd been in classes since mid-August. Now, you should know that in the ordination process, you have to meet with a lot of different boards and committees before you go to seminary. And so I had previously met with the staff parish at my church. I had met with our district committee on ordained ministry, and they loved me. They did. I will just say it. They loved me. It was easy. I don't think it was just because I was young, but they loved me and they welcomed me and they asked questions and I always felt really good and it was a great experience and all that. So I walked in to this meeting thinking, oh, this will be easy peasy, no problem, right? They'll love me, right? I'd tell them a little bit about myself. It'd be nice. We'd just chat. What? You know, whatever. Well, I came into the room, the three interviewers, and I can tell you only who one of them was now. I know there were two other people, and I think I know who one of them was, but I only remember one of them. When I walked into the room, I saw this district superintendent sitting there, and I knew, I know him, I said. I know what he wants to hear from me. I know the answers he's expecting, and I'm going to play to what I think he, he wants. And he asked me questions, and I swear to God, I swear to God, it felt like God <laughs> was asking me questions. It was nothing like what I'd experienced previously, nothing. It was nothing like it. I felt like I was being drilled. I felt like I wasn't answering at all the right answers. Some of the questions were over my head. I'd only been there one week. I hadn't even been to a theology class yet. Some of the questions I should have been answered able to answer very easily, but I made them hard, so I sounded like a babbling idiot. Finally, the DS turns to me and said, Amy, who is Jesus to you? This one I can answer, right? I knew, I knew the answer. I knew exactly what he wanted to hear. I had been prepped for this. Jesus is my savior. And then I didn't explain anything. I just left it at that didn't share about my experiences of Jesus, nothing. I just moved on. And at the end of the interview, when I asked if they had any tips for me, meaning were there classes they thought I should take, or you know, things that, oh, you really wanna do this to prepare yourself for dealing with the finance committee, you know, anything like that, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> what the DS said to me is, you need to work on your Christology, you do not know who Jesus is. So, of course, I went back to my apartment and quit seminary and left and <laughs> <laughs> cried and called my mom and threatened to quit seminary. Uh, what was I doing here? <sighs> but after I got myself together, I realized that I needed to figure it out. I needed an answer to this question. I liked Jesus. I loved Jesus. I wanted to walk in his footsteps. I understood that when I was serving others, when I was in mission, I was experiencing Jesus. But I didn't know who Jesus was to me and what it meant to call him my savior. Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, is not a question that we can just brush off. It's not like when your mother would say to you, who do you think you are? It's not like, you're going to wear that? Or, what exactly are you doing? No, it's not a rhetorical question. 
It's one that we can't avoid if we are, in fact, going to call ourselves followers of Christ. I spent my first year of seminary answering that question. I produced a 25-page paper on it at the end of the year. And it involved looking back on my life and looking at all the times that I had met the living Christ, be it putting bananas on the plates of the homeless at Cass when I was six years old, or giving a Bible to a Russian woman at a time when Bibles were still illegal in her country when I was 15, or having an experience of Christian community while at camp at Lake Louise, or reflecting on how Christ walked with me through my high school depression, talking all, taking on all of my confusion and anxiety, carrying my burden for his yoke is easy. I knew Jesus. And in my reflection, I came to understand that Jesus was, in fact, my savior. He saved me from self-absorption and arrogance, from ignorance and alienation, from loneliness and pain. And he was my companion in suffering who showed me that resurrection would come and that God's will is for life and for wholeness. And two years later, when I was invited to an event in Chicago that the cabinet and conference staff was attending, I sat with the DS and I thanked him for what he did to me, <sighs> for asking the question. He had no memory of the question, <laughs> but he was glad that he'd made a difference. I didn't need to answer that question because I was gonna be a pastor. I needed to answer that question because I claimed myself a Christian. I claimed myself a follower of Christ. Today, as you all know, is Confirmation Sunday. Today, these 15 people in white robes, these 15 ninth graders, will declare their faith before all of us as they take their vows of membership and confirm their faith. You will declare that Jesus Christ is your savior and that you put your whole trust in his grace. Now, everyone here who's a member of this church has made that same declaration publicly. It's a statement that we make, we confess when we join the church. It assumes that we've done some reflection on the statement. You who've made that public statement, think about it. Did you know what you were saying then? When I made my statement, I had no clue what it meant. My confirmation experience was two hours every Saturday morning for 12 weeks. You're lucky. <laughs> we were also a bunch of sixth graders. And it was boring. Boring, 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 boring. We sat still or tried to sit still or were forced to sit still for two hours of lecture and all we did was work in our workbooks. That's not what we require of you, because we want it to be an experience that's worthwhile. We want you to be able to answer the questions. We want you to be able to make a real commitment. So confirmation here in our church at Clarkson United Methodist Church, it's a year-long process. Throughout the year, a confirmand is expected to attend monthly classes. They have two lock-ins. A confirmand explores other faith traditions, 
We spend a weekend doing that. We have a day of service to the poor. They're expected to attend worship and be involved in the youth group. They are assigned a journey companion. Their journey companions are sitting here in the front. It's an adult mentor who becomes a friend to them, who journeys with them through confirmation, and they're given a kingdom assignment where they had to go out and build the kingdom and make a difference in the world. We've engaged these kids in learning about grace and experiences of Christian community. We've exposed them to other traditions and challenged them to use their own Wesleyan tradition to understand who Jesus is. They've been charged with building the kingdom and had an experience of transformational mission, and it is my great hope that this has guided you in discerning who Jesus is to you. Jesus asks each of us, who do you say that I am? It's a question you can't avoid. And it's one that's never too late to answer. Because when we do answer it, we find that we surrender ourselves to Jesus' saving grace and power. Knowing who Jesus is and recognizing his presence with you will be a source of strength to you, and he will give you hope for today and for tomorrow and will provide you with friends and companions to help you to glimpse the kingdom of God and remind you that you are not alone. Leading this confirmation class with Duncan Bone, our director of youth ministries, has been a tremendous blessing to me. You should know what a fantastic group of young people you have. Oh, I'm emotional. You have in this class. <laughs> they have wrestled with their faith and engaged it in a way that has inspired me. So your task is to continue to nurture them and encourage them. They are leaders in our church who have something to teach all of us. I have no doubt that had the DS asked any one of you the question he answered me, that you would have answered my far better than I did. And I have no doubt that if that Jewish boy had arrived on any one of your, foot, your doorsteps, you would have welcomed him. For they, in fact, know who Jesus is. So may we all follow their lead as we too grow in our faith continually confirming our beliefs and articulating our relationship with Christ. As we strive to walk in the footsteps of Christ, may we be touched by his grace and shaped by our relationship with the one that we call Savior. Amen.